When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This week on Two-Faced Wrestling Talk. Old is new again as Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman will once again play a major role in WWE programming. What does this mean for the company that has lost fan favor in recent months? We will discuss that as well as their most recent pay-per-view, which was solid until the end. Speaking of that end, a key figure in that also started a Twitter war that Kelsey is all set to rant about. All Elite Wrestling is set for another big show this weekend. We will look ahead to Fighter Fest. We will also talk ROH and bring you our PWG Rewind segment. Plus, Kelsey has an extended interview with podcaster, promoter, wrestler, and trainer Mike Quackenbush. A loaded Two-Faced Wrestling Talk is next. WrestlingInc.com brings you Two-Faced Wrestling Talk, the podcast that goes beyond WWE and goes in-depth on NJPW. AEW, ROH, PWG, and more. Also featuring fun pop culture and wrestling crossovers, listener Q&As, and extended discussions about wrestling topics past, present, and future. Now, here's your host, Kelsey. Hi, and welcome to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. I'm joined, as I am every week, by my co-host, Paul. And you're joined by Paul at a reasonable hour, not two in the morning, not six in the morning. We're actually doing the podcast at our normal time, which is very, very exciting to me. Uh, I don't need Bluetooth to get me going. I'm excited, oh, excited about doing the podcast at a real time. But speaking of Bluetooth. If you want to get excited, I guess, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> go to BlueChew.com, B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Use the promo code Kelsey. That's my name. K-E-L-S-I is how it's spelled. And you get a, a free sample for only $5 shipping. Check them out. Yep. You will uh, help out the podcast, and uh, your partner will be just as excited about it as well. And uh, we're also excited about wrestling travel. Uh, we announced them last week, and glad to have them partnering with us on the show as well. Great, great site for wrestling fans looking for that package for big events. Yeah, if you want to travel, which I think is important for fans to travel and experience wrestling live, because there's just nothing like it. Watching at home is fun, but there is just a whole level more of experience when you get to be there in person. So to me, go to WrestlingTravel.org. they got some great deals, incredible wrestling travel packages, including a travel package to All Out in Chicago, a travel package to go to Japan, to be there and experience the two-day Wrestle Kingdom live. That's incredible. That's going to be a historic moment, a historic event, and you get to have like tours around Japan by Fat Ass Masa from Being <laughs> the Elite. I think that's worth it in <laughs> itself right there. Plus, they've got WWE travel packages, including to WrestleMania and to Royal Rumble. And their customer service can't be beat. We saw an example of that last week uh, once we announced them as a partner. Uh, listeners chiming in uh, with questions on, you know, can I travel from this airport, whatever. And they got answers immediately. And that's uh, 
That's indicative of the kind of service you're going to get with Wrestling Travel. Yep, if you have any concerns, questions, they are on all social media platforms, including Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Wrestling Travel. Like I said as well, WrestlingTravel.org. There's a contact us. Go there if you have additional questions. And then, of course, uh, our social media, you can find us at, I'm at Pboron88, and you're at Super Kicking It. Yep, S-U-P-E-R-K-I-C-K-I-N-G-I-T. And, of course, our show, at Two-Face Pod. You can find all the platforms where we are, and uh, we are dominating the world. So we are everywhere. We're not hard to find. <laughs> We're a multitude of places. Dominate. I don't know about everywhere. Global domination. Propelled by Blue Chew, we will take over the world. I thought you were going to say something about Pinky and the Brain, maybe. Uh-huh. It's time to take over the world, yes. Pinky. Hey, Brain, what are we doing tonight? Same thing we do every night, Pinky. That's sure. it. Yeah, that's more like it. So, I, can't, I can't do uh, Pinky's high voice, though. <laughs> maybe if I had a blue chew in me, maybe I can really <laughs> get the high voice. Who knows? I don't know. I don't think. No, I don't want, I don't think, where it doesn't work like helium. I don't helium. think there's a correlation. <laughs> yes, it's not helium. I don't know what's going on. Um, I anyway. just got pinky in the brain on my head because, you know, my magnets, instead of watching WWE, I was putting together my magnet collection. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that uh, nonsense in a minute. But we're going to start uh, with... Uh, the headlines of the week. It's time to give our opinions on the latest wrestling shows, news, and developments. It's time for headlines. And the big story coming out on Thursday, which is the day we record the podcast, is uh, the news that Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman are going to each take over WWE TV shows. Is this a gimmick? Is it a publicity stunt? Is it real? Will it matter? <laughs> I'm not sure if it will matter. I mean, I think it's interesting news. I don't know. It's hard to know how to feel about it. You know, Paul Heyman clashed with a lot of people backstage. At least there's stories of that. The first time he was in charge of, you know, a part of the company. So what will it be like this time? Has he learned to not ruffle feathers as much? I don't know, but he has brought some great talents and some great stories into WWE uh, in the past. So I can he work his magic again? I don't know with the current climate how big of a hindrance will Vince be because he's still the guy who green lights everything or denies anything or he's the guy who's putting up ideas that might be ridiculous, like Pooper Scooper, <laughs> says John Moxley, <laughs> a.k.a. Dean Ambrose, uh, you know, making somebody say that. So if that's all Vince's work and Vince is still in the same position and still has all that power, how much difference can Bischoff and Paul Heyman make, really? Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Vince is the final answer. And uh, if you are to, are to believe what happened backstage... He either would make changes at the last minute, he would accept writers' opinions at the last minute. There was no continuity with storylines. So if he's still the final say, if he's the guy right before they hit the curtain, well, then then nothing's going to change in my mind. But I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that this is a step in the right direction. Because look, as we've talked about in recent weeks, and you're a prime example, People are, are not as interested in WWE. You know, I'm, I'm a, a loyal viewer just because I have been for a long time, and I'm hopeful that the product's going to get better. You have flat out said you're not entertained. I'm not interested <laughs> in it at all. No, I'm not even... 
which I shame to say it. No, which I think is ridiculous. While I fully acknowledge there are plenty of negatives to go around, there are positives on that roster, and there's good wrestling going on when they let them wrestle. I have said there are positives. I've always praised WWE for the things they do right, but am I invested in any of the stories at all? No. Anything that happened at Stomping Ground to me had no consequence. I wasn't invested in any of the stories being told. Yeah, there were some decent matches. Yeah, it was okay. There's just nothing there that's like, yeah, I can't wait to see what's going to happen about this. I'm sorry. It's just, it's not captivating to me. Uh, if it was more jazzed up, I mean, we rewatched, we're not going to talk about it this week, even though we were supposed to, but our show's kind of too jam-packed. We've got this awesome Mike Quackenbush interview. We were supposed to talk about King of the Ring with Shane McMahon and Kurt Angle. That's one of my favorite matches of all time. Uh, of course, that's back in the day in WWE, old school, WWF at the time. So to me, like, that's, like, I am... I used to love that type of stuff. It's just that the current product right now, they've got the best roster ever. They probably have the best wrestling ever, but they hold them back in the ring. They restrict them. And to me, it's like, if I can see better, more crazy wrestling elsewhere and better stories too, then that makes me less invested in WWE. Because at least WWE back in the day would have interesting stories. Um, And sometimes they would have great matches too, but they were more for like their entertainment, their storytelling, their characters even. And just, I feel like they have lost that a little bit because nothing's developed, nothing's stuck with. You know, they always move around and change so much. So like, that's my little rant. I had a whole rant planned for Rollins and Osprey, but that's really more of my rant (laughs) than even the Osprey thing. Well, you got more to say on that later. Uh, I look. I disagree with you on some things. I think they do do some storylines that, you know, I think Lacey and Becky Lynch, they've built up a little bit. But, you know, at the same time, they overdo some things. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then they jump around, like you said. Um, But I would be fine. I I don't care as much about the storylines. And that's one thing we talk about as long as the wrestling's good. As long as one of the two things is good, either the storylines or the wrestling, when both are subpar, then you've got a problem. Well, that, what I'm saying is <clears throat> I can find just as good, if not way better wrestling elsewhere, plus stories or people I'm invested in, things that are happening that I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to see what's going to happen. Like in New Japan Pro Wrestling, there's all this like great stuff going on with the G1. Like I can't wait to see who's going to end up winning. Whereas WWE, I, I just can't think of one thing that I think I can't wait to see what happens. That's sad. I liked WWE back. That was my first promotion I got into. I didn't know about New Japan when I first got into wrestling because I'm a later fan. I didn't know about all these other promotions. But what, what what became apparent to me very quickly is how frustrating WWE became. Even when I was a new fan, and then when I found the other wrestling, I was like, oh man, I don't have to be so frustrated. It gave me a great outlet to like other things, and it really saved me as being a fan because I wasn't always like complaining and mad all the time. There's other things to enjoy. So I'm not trying to say WWE can never be good. I'm just saying right now, this is personally just me. There's nothing that really gets me pumped up and, you know, can't wait to watch the next show. You know, Raw comes on, I kind of like, man, that's a lot of time. I kind of dread it. Like, we could be watching awesome movies or something. We could be watching awesome shows. Or we could be watching other wrestling that I've been meaning to watch forever, but I put on the back burner because we have to watch WWE. Thank you for overstating things since I watched all of Raw and SmackDown by myself this week during the day. Well, I didn't want to watch Stomping Ground. I was in the room for it. <laughs> well, let's get to that. And uh, 
you know, we talk about people losing interest, uh, stomping grounds. If you if you have a TV background like us, it was obvious the way they shot the show that they were totally trying to hide that half the arena or at least a third of it was empty if between a third and a half. But uh, I thought the pay-per-view itself was decent. Uh, I thought basically until the end, I, that was really the only place I had a problem. Oh my gosh. You're even yawning when, when I start talking about stomping I'm ground. I'm tired. Uh, <laughs> it's not just, if you guys like stomping ground, that's fine. It's perfectly okay to agree to disagree. As I always say in the podcast, if you guys love WWE right now, all the more power to you. It's just not my cup of tea right now. I don't think anybody's going to say they love it right now. <laughs> I think People are excited lately. I heard Raj tweet. He said something about how, he was so entertained during Raw. Yeah, it was actually a decent Raw. I gotta say, it wasn't bad. But uh, the pay per view itself, let's let's start with that. Stomping grounds. Uh, again, good pay per view. I thought until the very end, which was kind of cringe worthy for for me. But the beginning of the show, I thought uh, Becky and and Lacey put on a pretty good match. Uh, I th- I thought. Uh, Lacey has gotten a lot better from the initial thing where she kind of was awkward on that one kip up, which she, she was probably nervous as can be. I think she's gotten a lot better, and I thought that was a decent match. But really, the next two matches were probably the best matches of the night. Yeah, Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens versus The New Day, which I'm really happy to see Sami and Kevin teaming together. I mean, we've said it time and time again, whether they're working together or against each other, those two are just magic, and they should always be associated with each other in one way, shape, or form forever. I just love them together. Then the other great match, which we kind of hyped leading into the show, Ricochet and Samoa Joe, and it did not disappoint, in my opinion. I actually did predict that it could be Ricochet winning, and he did win. Yeah. His first big title in WWE. Yeah, I mean, look, the the KO Sami Zayn New Day match was just a really, really good tag team match, and it, you know, it's the kind of match that WWE probably should have given another 10 minutes to. You know, That's the, the thing, you know, you know, not enough time for both of these great matches. Right. You know, you... you you had a great tag team match, and, and we've talked about WWE doesn't doesn't uh, deliver or or in, invest as much in the tag team division as they should. But that was just a really good tag team match. I thought it was funny. KO comes out super kicking everybody. I wonder if that was a little nod to the, to his buddies, the Young Bucks, because yeah. he was super kicking everybody. And then the uh, the move of the match, just from an impressive feat was uh, Woods picking up Big E, putting him on his shoulders, and squatting and standing up with him on his shoulders. Incredible strength. Yeah, it's strong, but, you know, is he more like medium E now? (laughs) We did say he lost some weight after he was gone, so is he really big, Big E? The same old Big E? I don't know. No, it really is impressive. I'm just joking. Um, It was nice to see Xavier team up with Big E. It's always usually, you know, Big E and Kofi. Mm -hmm. Now, Kofi with the singles title, it's kind of great to see Xavier actually get in ring time instead of just being on the outside all the time. So that was awesome to see him have a a great match. Yeah, he's a really good wrestler. I said that last week with his match on uh, SmackDown, I think it was, Mm -hmm. uh, singles match. Ricochet and Samoa Joe was so good, but I had to laugh. Uh, Ricochet did his flip in the ring, and he kind of didn't hit it. He stumbled. And he he just had a big goofy grin on his face like, whoops. (laughs) I think he tripped on his uh, long cape thing. That's what it looked like to me. I couldn't tell how it got messed up, but it was really not that noticeable. They kind of cut away pretty quickly. Another thing is uh, he kind of had a... 
not a full rotation on one of his flips. It reminded us a lot of, uh, oh wait, no, it wasn't a full rotation. It was Samoa Joe flips him almost too powerfully, and he, like, lands on his back. Right. Instead of on his feet. Expect he's going to land on his feet. Yeah, so it reminded us of an Osprey thing from a couple of weeks ago where, actually, it was, I think it was either against Shingo or against Dragon Lee. I can't remember which person. I think it might have been Dragon Lee. I don't remember which one, but he did. He did a flip and he landed on his I back. I think it was against Shingo. Yeah, he yeah. didn't. La- he didn't go completely around and land on his feet. So it was just like that. It was kind of weird. Yeah, it was like the strength of the guy over rotating him, so he can't land on his feet. He lands on his back. And look, Ricochet and Osprey. We're going to talk a lot more about them in a little bit, and we've got a PWG rewind coming up with both talk- of them. Yes. Talking about them as well. Uh, I thought, you know, I- I've said this for for years or or at least as long as we've been doing this podcast Samoa Joe is amazing to me and I hate that he lost the belt but now it looks like he's going to go after Kofi so that could be uh, a a great showdown although you know go along your storyline motif they're basically kind of rushing into it they rush a lot of these storylines and i'd really love to know what our good friend mark blutman who was the co-executive producer and a writer on boy meets world i'd love to know what he thinks about joe losing the belt because he's a huge fan and proponent and friend of samoa joe so i'd like to know his thoughts on it i actually meant to text him a while ago but it'd be interesting to see what people think because we're huge joe fans but also big ricochet fans so it was nice to see ricochet get a title but like i would i would have been okay with samoa joe like bringing that title back to prominence and having like an insane long run with it honestly i think that could have been awesome he could have been a really dominant strong champion and just held it for months but you know that doesn't happen that often in wwe anymore like really long title runs especially with the mid you know the mid card titles uh so ricochet wins the u.s title there the next match was uh heavy machinery versus brian and rowan uh <laughs> i loved uh Corey calling out byron saxton because he made a comment about tucker being from nearby oregon and he was gonna have like a an advantage <laughs> Of course, Daniel Bryan's from the state of Washington. They Cor- were so Cor- loud for him. And Corey killing Saxton about his lack of, uh, ge- or not knowing geography. I thought that was pretty funny. Plus, it made me think of you. It reminded me of me, yeah, yeah because you know, I don't know anything. You don't know where anything is. You were asking me things. It was a long time ago, but you remembered a few things that I had said that were ridiculous. Like, oh, is this city in this place? Or is this, I, I thought maybe a city was a state or something. I can't remember. Something dumb. Uh, I don't know geography. But there was a huge pop for Daniel Bryan, as you would imagine, in in uh, Tacoma, just outside of Seattle. Uh, at one point, they're chanting "Drive a Prius," which I thought was funny. I gotta say, even though they didn't win, I didn't expect them to win. I thought Heavy Machinery really performed well for their first uh, main roster pay per view. Probably their biggest match to date. I mean, I don't even think they had a match nearly this big in NXT. And I thought they really delivered. I thought uh, I thought they were really good together. And so uh, even though Otis seems like he's kind of a gimmick. Uh, but he's so much fun. He's fun and he's good. And Tucker has amazing athleticism for such a big man. I think they said that he was 6'5". And so he was really good. And so I'm actually kind of excited about the future with them. Uh, Bailey and Bliss, I thought that was a solid match with uh, Bailey retaining. This is where I was doing my magnets, so <laughs> yeah. I really don't know she what happened. Tuned, tuned out there, and 
she was tuned down on this one next match too, and I I wouldn't have blamed her. Uh, but uh, Roman and Drew, I thought, was actually a pretty good match. I thought it was much better than the WrestleMania match. And I love, look, for all of our, our and everybody's knocking of Roman, and he's not the greatest wrestler, it is impressive when he jumps over the rope, no assistance from the rope, flying over, big man like that. It is impressive. And I, I really thought it was a pretty good match because uh, I had real low expectations for it because... The WrestleMania match was kind of boring, but this one was actually pretty good. And uh, Roman ends up beating Drew, uh, but we're not done with them uh, facing off, as we'll talk about later. Uh, finally, you had Kofi and Dolph in the uh, steel cage. Uh, pretty good match. I thought the uh, the ending was definitely unique. Uh, we've never seen that before, where one guy dives between the ropes to beat the <laughs> other guy onto the floor. Yeah, I I thought that part really stuck out. Yeah. Just the way he, like, clanked against the floor. He, like, bounced up <laughs> off the floor. I was really worried about his shoulders. I mean, God, that had to hurt, it looked like. But yeah, I thought that was pretty unique, and I'm so glad Dolph didn't win. Only because, you know, everyone keeps thinking that Dolph's going to be this underdog story, but they keep teasing this, teasing this, teasing this, and it's just like, it wouldn't be believable anymore. I know our friend Aaron feels that way. It's just like, can't really buy into the Dolph you know, underdog, and then, you know, eventual champion storyline. It's just because they've tried it so many times, and they just abandon it. Right. So, like, I'm glad, why take it away from Kofi, you know? Kofi's doing great right now. He's having a great title run. I think this was the right decision to keep the belt on Kofi. I agree, and uh, Kofi gets to keep the belt with uh, that spectacular dive between the ropes. Definitely unique. So, at this point, I'm saying this show is Definitely a solid B+. What may have knocked it down a little bit was the, the final match. I definitely paid attention <laughs> near the end, and I can't wait to talk about it. Look, Rollins and Corbin, the match itself was okay. It was anything spectacular. But then the, you knew as soon as Lacey was the guest referee, then they were going to bring Becky back, and that was going to be involved. And this is where WWE is going off the rails for me. So they have a great pay-per-view, or a very good pay-per-view. A lot of good matches, a lot of solid matches. And then they do this, where they, they're they forcing Becky and Seth's relationship on us. And it's awkward, and they seem awkward, and they, it's, it's... It's not that they're forcing a relationship. Like, if you take a look at other wrestling couples that have been in front of the thing, in front of the camera, or in the ring together, you know, I didn't think it was that bad with... Lita and Matt Hardy. I love Rebby and Matt Hardy when they are on screen together and they are like married in real life. I love Cody and Brandy when they are on screen together. It feels natural. They act like they want to touch each other. They want to be around each other. They look comfortable <laughs> together. I gotta say, I, maybe I'm misreading, but with Seth and Becky, it was like they didn't even know how to like touch each other like she she's like rubbing his head like a dog at one point when she's coming in the ring he's like trying to put his arm around her but she looks like she doesn't want that it's like she's trying to like I think it might be that she's trying to have this like tough persona the man persona and doesn't really want to be like seen as a girlfriend maybe maybe that's the hesitance or maybe they just don't want their relationship being in front of everybody and they don't want to do PDA so either way, it just seemed like they did not want to be near each other. And it was awkward as an audience person to watch. I looked away. I was like, I can't look at this. <laughs> it's just the most awkward forced thing I've ever seen. And it's not that they're a couple and they're making a couple be in front of the camera. I mean, right. I didn't like Edge and Lita. I think that was pretty gross. But uh, like I said, uh, 
Rebby and Matt and and Cody and Brandy. I love that. Well, and <coughs> it, it it just it it made the show end on a, a bad note to me because the crowd was already starting to lose it during the match even before that happened. Chanting, AEW chants. chanting AEW, chanting boring, chanting this is stupid. Even though there was some good stuff going on, Seth power bombing Corbin through the table was really good. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, I wrote down a comment you made at the beginning of the match that you liked heel Seth better. <laughs> yeah. And uh, boy, ironically, that... <laughs> I got it. Like I got a heel <laughs> Seth. Yeah, you got your wish on that. So on Twitter, um, Seth wins the title. Uh, the whole nonsense with Becky. Now I get it. They're setting up for a, a tag team, Extreme Rules mixed tag, Becky and Seth against Corbin and Lacey. You get it, but is the story that great, though, that they're trying to tell? No, no. it's forced. It's awkward. Well, it's awkward. and it's, it's, <coughs> it's, Sorry. It's not, they're not comfortable with it, and the and the audience is not comfortable. It, it's cringeworthy, so I don't know. Some if, people like it. And if they stick to, know. if they stick to the wrestling part of it, at Extreme Rules and not do the other stuff, it'll be fine. If they force them to, you know, pet each other or I whatever, then then it's it's not going to be good. So, pay-per-view ends. Like I said, a disappointing ending to the pay-per-view. Uh, otherwise, a very good pay-per-view. And then, the fireworks start on Twitter. Seth Rollins makes a comment, yeah. which you're going to read. Will yeah. Ospreay has an innocent enough... Response, but uh, people don't think it's innocent. It's so I can't fathom it. Usually, you have the get off my lawn rants. <laughs> yeah, well, get ready because Kelsey's been winding up for this for days now. Yeah, wanting day, to rant about days. this. Except I don't know. I feel like my urge to rant's a little lessened right now. <laughs> I've cooled off, but originally I was fuming about this because yeah, it's great for both guys because actually they're both kind of getting over and getting more attention from this Twitter feud, and you know it's probably all in good fun, kind of like almost like a work. But there seems like there's some seriousness behind it. I can't really tell. And, I mean, and I before could before you get into this. Let me just say, Twitter feuds are so ridiculous. They are. Whether it's Taylor Swift and Katy Perry or Seth Rollins and Will Ospreay. Dave Meltzer and Eric Bischoff. Yeah, They've I mean, had a Twitter feud. I, our first episode, we talked about their Twitter feud. Our very first podcast episode. Twitter feuds are, are kind of ridiculous, but it's something to talk about. It's gold for us, so we'll take it. So take it from uh, where this all got started. Okay, well, like, let me, I'm going to continue my preface with saying, yeah, it might just all be in good fun, but... It just angers me when people are like, oh, Seth's just tired of people bashing his company when the initial comment wasn't anything about companies. I mean, hell, Osprey's wrestled not just for New Japan, he's wrestled all over the place outside of WWE. So I don't know where people are coming up with this uh, promotion part of this whole conversation. Well, anyway, so it starts with Seth Rollins saying, doubling down... Best pro wrestling on the planet. See that cruiserweight triple threat? And that's just one night, one match amongst the many. Find anyone else alive who does what I do as well as I do it as often as I do it. You can't. And then Will Ospreay quoted it and he said, I'm alive. You know what? This is how I think. If you can't take the heat, get out the kitchen. If you can't take the heat, quit your bitchin'. Because I don't understand. If Seth Rollins is going to pose a question on social media, find anyone alive, it's like a challenge. Osprey's had, like, the greatest year of his career. 
Osprey's had like one of the greatest years out of anybody right now in 2019. The performances he he's had, and he's wrestled so much in an like insane short amount of time. So to me, it's like this is absurd that Rollins would be offended by this. You know, yeah, you could say Osprey's being a little cheeky, maybe by even responding to this. But like Seth Rollins tweet to begin with is a little cocky and cheeky like you know if you don't want anyone to respond they'd be like me being like i'm the best youtuber find someone else who's better there's like a thousand people who are better than me like i don't have a billion followers like whatever i don't know i'm just fuming mad because people are like oh no wonder rollins is so upset you know the company he's tired of people bashing his company and he just he couldn't take it anymore and he responded but rollins starts calling him little guy Rollins starts saying, oh, well, I got a big bank account, and all, you want to talk numbers, because I think Osprey had said something about how, how many matches he's wrestled in 2019, and he's like, well, if you want to talk numbers, we'll talk about bank accounts, and he's like, it would be one thing if, if Seth Rollins was a heel right now, but he's like the company's top babyface, so to me, all of this comes off as really odd, not in character at all, and uh, it doesn't make me, as a fan, unhappy with WWE, wanting to root for him at all, or, like, invest in him at all. Like, okay, if you're not gonna, like, acknowledge that there's other great wrestlers out there, then, like, screw you. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. If you guys disagree, that's okay. If you love Seth Rollins, that's okay. I like Seth Rollins. Um, I wouldn't say he's the best wrestler on the planet at all. No. You said he was in your top ten. He, he wouldn't even be in my top ten. Yeah, I think he'd be in my top ten, but Will Ospreay's definitely in my top one or two. So Well, Osprey's basically like my 1.5. Suzuki's my one. So <laughs> he, he would be one, but Suzuki has such, so much character and stuff, so it's hard to beat Suzuki. But in terms of wrestling, he's hands down basically number one for me. Seth Rollins, like, I could name so many more people I like better than him. Well, and he, He'd look, be my top maybe 30. He, he credited Ricochet in this rant, too. Uh, almost like he didn't know that Ricochet and Osprey... Our buddies. <laughs> yeah, he said something like, uh, this is funny, little guy. We've got a we've got a guy here already that's better than you, and his name is Ricochet, <laughs> and he just got his first title. Congrats, bud. Uh, or whatever he was saying. And that's kind of funny because Osprey and Ricochet are great friends, and really they both kind of went viral with their match at the Best of Super Junior Tournament against each other. And, as we'll talk about in a few minutes, they had a match tagging with each other and also Matt Seidel against the Bucks and Adam Cole in PWG. So, yeah, Ricochet and Osprey are are good friends. They like each other. They respect each other. So, I don't think Ricochet's sitting there being like, man, I don't really appreciate you calling me better than him. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think Ricochet probably liked that even. Like, deep down, I'm sure he wouldn't say anything publicly. Right. It all is really silly, and they were kind of both giving shots back and forth. I think Osprey even called Seth Rollins little guy as well. But, of course, then Osprey gains more followers. He uh, actually makes a t-shirt that says little guy, and he's selling it for a <laughs> few days. So I think it's actually a good thing because it brought more attention to who Will Osprey was. But overall, as a person... It makes me kind of dislike Seth Rollins, just because it seems so petty, and he really seemed to be sticking with it. If he was a heel, it would be one thing, but, like, he's not supposed to be a heel right now, as I said earlier, so what does it mean? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it sort of felt like Tomatonga calling out Roman, uh, but Tomatonga's a, a, a bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it was all... It was all ridiculousness. To be so offended just by I'm alive, like, that's... If, if, if Will Ospreay had said something like, man, you really stink, you're not the best, that'd be one thing. Seth Rollins is like, can you find someone alive? Will Ospreay's like, yeah, I'm alive. That, that, 
That doesn't warrant the reaction. No. I don't know. No, it doesn't. It was... It's all silliness, like I said, a lot of these Twitter feuds are anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's silly that I even got so impassioned about it, but somebody was like, can't we just drop it already? Why are you so upset? This has become a whole social media drama. And I was like, I can be cool with people agreeing and disagreeing, but nobody can tell me not to care about something. That's where I draw the line. you didn't even say the tweet that you put out there that... Oh, yeah, I did, like, a whole Dirty Dancing theme. No, not that one. That is all the same tweet. Yeah, (laughs) it started with, yeah, I hope Rollins' big bank account is worth it when WWE starts exploiting the hell out of his relationship, making him, Becky, and the whole entire audience uncomfortable as hell. And then I said something like, uh, nobody puts Osprey in a corner. I stand with Osprey. That's what I said. And I used a dirty dancing meme. I made Patrick Swayze said, say, uh, nobody puts Osprey in a corner. <laughs> <laughs> the famous part of the movie where yes. he says that. Yep. People so. liked it, so. But yeah, people were telling me, like, oh, you shouldn't care. You can disagree and say that you like Rollins better. You can disagree and you think Osprey is terrible. You can disagree with me on anything. Just don't tell me not to care about something, because I'll care what I want to care about. So, whatever. That's my whole little rant. I, I'm, I'm on Osprey's side. He's my boy. Shocking. All right, well, let's turn our attention to Raw and SmackDown, also known as two TV shows you didn't see this week. And I'm I, happy about it. I actually saw all five hours. I had been watching the condensed version of Raw, but I actually watched it in its entirety. And I agree with Raj. It was actually pretty good. There were some good matches. Uh, Kofi versus Sammy was awesome. AJ versus Ricochet, as you would imagine, was fantastic. The puzzling part of the show was the attack on Roman Reigns by Drew McIntyre and Shane McMahon. And Undertaker comes and saves Roman Reigns. I've heard about this, Makes yes. Makes no sense to me. I, I don't... I am not enthused. <laughs> well, and I don't understand it. I don't... I don't... Uh, like, they're going to have to put The Undertaker on the mic next week to explain why he would get involved and help Roman. So. Yeah, I know. Since, like, you know, we thought when Undertaker was retiring that yeah. Roman retired. Maybe he's got respect for the big dog now. Because uh, it's really his, his yard. Speaking of the big dog, if you want to play a drinking game, and you kind of said it on Sunday... You die. You, if you took a shot every time Michael Cole yells out Big Dog like he just downed a blue chew and is super excited. Oh, gosh. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, Big Dog. Oh, my God. <laughs> it is ridiculous how many times Michael Cole yells out Big Dog during a Roman Reigns match. <laughs> it is, it's, it's too... They all started saying it, though. They're like, Big the Dog, Big Dog, Big Dog. I'm like, they're all saying it. I know. It. Nobody refers to him as Roman or Reigns. It's... It's like, this is his name now. <laughs> I know. But anyway, if you did play the drinking game, you'd be dead. You'd be dead. Yeah. You'd, you'd be on your way to the hospital, or in WWE world, you'd be off to a medical facility. Yeah. Because <laughs> they don't like to say hospital for some reason. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, I wouldn't take a shot. I would just take one little sip of a Pimm's <laughs> cup or something. Then I wouldn't die. I've alluded to this a little bit, the, the 24-7 belt silliness. I know they're doing some funny things. But I'm sitting there watching Raw going, all right, how about an actual match? Not just the nonsense, you know, at weddings and everything else. A yeah, lot of people like that, though. Yeah, I'm fine with it, but have actual matches. So then they set up an actual match between Drake Maverick and and R-Truth, and the match lasts 12 seconds. So, uh, again, I like the premise. If if the wrestler is going around to different, promote, or, uh, different shows and defending the belt... And I do like some of the other stuff, but 
if it's not going to be a real belt, it's kind of just a big comedy routine, which we know Vince loves comedy, even if it's so- sophomore humor. Uh, SmackDown, I think one of the things that stood out to me was the crowd chanting, No More Shane. Uh, so, so clearly the crowd tired of Shane McMahon. Meanwhile, I, I wrote down people who did not appear on TV this week, uh, either because they were traveling, because they were left off the show, because they are hurt. Well, Nakamura was on for about 20 seconds. Really? What yeah. did he well, do? He They are teasing a Finn Balor versus Nakamura match uh, ah. for the IC title. So that'll be great. Uh, but no Rusev, no Randy Orton. Uh, Ali was only on in his little promo where he apparently is now Batman or something. I don't know what, <laughs> yeah. what those promos were about. No Andrade. Uh, we finally saw the War Raiders slash Viking Raiders back on TV. So, But... You know, again, Shane McMahon is stealing so much of the TV time from the guys who deserve it. Such a different way of feeling about Shane McMahon than what we just referenced a little while ago. Back in the day, Shane McMahon versus Kurt Angle. That Shane McMahon I love. And when he first returned back to WWE after so many years gone, I was so excited. I marked out. A lot of people did. I can't rem- I can't. I can't remember when it started to go south, but it did. And this is really just driving into the ground. If he wasn't, like, taking time away, I think people wouldn't mind. I think it started in the last couple WrestleManias, like, enough that Shane's got to have his WrestleMania moment. I think that's where the momentum for this started. And now that he's on TV all the time, when, you know, as you said earlier in this segment, they've got as good a roster as maybe they've ever had, deep-wise. And a lot of guys... And girls aren't even getting on TV. Yeah. And and that's unfortunate. Before we switch away from WWE and before you continue with Raw, we forgot something about the pay-per-view. When Ricochet won his belt, he goes backstage and all these people are congratulating him. And randomly, Charlotte's there <laughs> and she's congratulating him. It's odd. She's not even on the show. She's a heel. And she's there congratulating him. And it was awkward. Yeah, that was... That what was, was that about? That was, Raj tweeted about that too, but I noticed it before I read this tweet, but yeah, it was yeah, weird. Yeah, that was a little dumb. And another thing that was dumb with WWE this week, having Kofi and Dolph just after a pay-per-review on SmackDown have a two out of three falls match where the stipulation was Dolph would get into the match at Extreme Rules with Samoa Joe and Kofi. The way to have approached that should have been Dolph versus Samoa Joe fighting for a spot in that. Yes. Why have Kofi and Dolph, and this is another thing, and they, they kind of alluded to it on TV, so it's a storyline, I guess, as well. They, they are overworking Kofi. I mean, he had to wrestle Sami Zayn on Monday, then turn around and wrestle a two out of three falls match against Dolph on Tuesday after just wrestling a steel cage match with Dolph on Sunday. That's a lot of wrestling. I, I hope is. they're not going to burn him out. But, uh... We will see. He's dependable as hell, though. That is true. That is true. Uh, quickly, NXT, uh, the breakout tournament. You you got a, a taste of that. She actually watched NXT, so she can I actually did. talk about that. The changing of the names. We talked about it a little last week. I hate it. Well, it's like these guys have names that people actually know. Now you're changing them to names that nobody knows who these people are by these new names. It's just dumb. And you said your theory is that... They're trying to make it seem like they're developing these stars, right? Well, they want to feel like there's a NXT touch on them. But then you you look throughout NXT history and you see the people who never had a name change. Right. You know, uh, it just puzzles me why some get a name change and others don't. 
Well, you and you pointed it out with like uh, the former DJZ, which uh, his name is now Joaquin Wild. Yeah. You know, there's a whole backstory on why he wears the same kind of stuff that Ali wears. That they, you but know, they don't know that people don't know that. Watching, know. So they're probably thinking like, "Oh, he's ripping off Ali." Ali. Yeah. Like, why does this guy have the same gear? We're right. all confused. I mean, the NXT audience is in the know, right? So they know who he is. But like, if he appears on the main roster, people will be like, "What the?" <laughs> I'm sure the, I guess the announcers, the broadcasters would say something. They would have to. I think. Um, just the name changes are puzzling to me, and I think they're unnecessary. Like Shane Strickland. Yeah, no, he's Swerve Scott, Isaiah Swerve Scott or something. No, why? Uh, the other big thing, obviously, on that show was the first ever NXT Women's Steel Cage match. Io Shirai and Shayna Baszler. I thought this was really good. You were kind of unimpressed because you thought there was too much outside interference, which the cage... I guess it's supposed to prevent, but... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just thought, like, okay, there's a cage, they're going to have a brutal match, uh, and maybe I finally we'd see the title change. And instead, there's a lot of outside interference, a lot of shenanigans, and to me, it just kind of hurt it. I was just expecting something really impactful in terms of them and the cage. I thought the cage would be such a big factor and uh, such a brutality, like, that would be there with them but no it just to me it was more about the people who come out and get involved Uh, to me it's just cheap why not just have a regular match if you're going to do that so they had a steel cage match just to say they had one but uh only a few spots really utilized the cage i will say the spots that did utilize it were awesome like god candace's beautiful crossbody from high up and then also you know eo's moonsault was incredible like mind-blowing picturesque beautiful uh, so awesome. But uh, then the ending ruined it all. Well, first EO tries to slam the cage door on Shayna, and Shayna ends up falling out of the ring, so Shayna retains, which bothered you. And then EO snaps on Candace, which made no sense, but... I am confused. <laughs> like, yeah, she's a... She, I guess, if you want her to be healed, I guess. But why? Like, the... the the thought pattern's not there. I just don't understand it at all. And she would have been a great face. Like, Io is a great face for them. You already have a great heel in Baszler. You know, why turn her? Right. I mean, I guess you could argue you've got, you've got a great face with Candace, but really... Yeah, but she's one of the few faces. I know, exactly. That's like, the thing. It's like, you know, Bianca Belair is kind of heelish. She's not a pure face. No. So you got a lot more, to me, like, heelish people. Yeah. Yeah, it, it didn't make much sense. But I love Baszler. I just don't think, like, now she's so strong, who's going to beat her? If it's Candice, Candice hasn't had a lot of in-ring matches. Right, yeah. Well, hope- So to me, it's like... Hopefully you're setting up a Candice versus Shirai, and then Candice, I guess, beats Shirai and then gets a chance at Baszler. Yeah, I- but Candice should have gone through the whole roster months ago. Yeah. Leading I- up into Baszler. If they were going to decide, yeah, let's have Candice beat her. And, you know, I love Candice. She's my favorite. And Baszler's like my favorite heel. So I love both of them. I'm just like not loving what's happening right now. I feel like Candice should have had more matches. And Baszler shouldn't be so strong to where who the heck's going to beat her. It's almost unbelievable at this point. You could argue, yeah, they did it with Asuka. But it didn't really fare too well for Asuka in the end. No. You know, a streak is is good for a little while. But then it becomes so so hard to work around and work with. It's mm-hmm. like, where do you go from there? True, true. Well, a lot of WWE talk, and in that we also mentioned Osprey and Ricochet and the Young Bucks, which got us discussing a great match from PWG. It's time for the PWG Rewind. 
Back in my day, video stores told you to be kind, rewind. Well, we're taking their advice, we're kind, and we're rewinding by taking a look back at PWG through the years. It's time for PWG Rewind. And so this uh, discussion kind of came about as you were watching an interview you did with Dave Meltzer last year. Yeah, I did an interview with Dave, asked him what was his favorite in-person moment at PWG that he was there to experience live. And he said the match with Osprey, Ricochet, and Matt Seidel versus the Young Bucks and Adam Cole. He said the last five minutes of the match are just insane crazy. And yes, they are crazy, uh, the last five minutes, but it's not my favorite Young Bucks match. It's not my favorite PWG match in general. So to me, it's a great match, but there are some sloppy moments in it, actually. But it, it is funny. Um, for some reason, Excalibur and, uh, Chuck, and e. Chuck E. T. keep calling Adam Cole fat. Which it's like I, this long-running joke they've done throughout many shows. Many I, I, shows. I really want to find the... Uh, that's, you know, that's one of the things, if we ever interview Excalibur, I want to get the whole origin on Bradley Beal, and I want to get the... Ex- the thing on why they think Adam Cole is fat. I'm sure it started in a really far back PWG DVD. Yeah. We just haven't seen it yet because we've gone a certain amount back, but we've got to go even further, I think, maybe to find the Adam Cole fat, you know, where it started. <laughs> but, the origin story. But it is funny. And the commentary on this match is almost as good as the match itself because it's it's funny in parts. Chuck E. T. is almost killing the product because he's like, okay, that was an un- unnecessary. He, flip. He's like saying like, oh, this is st- that that was stupid. There, they shouldn't have done that. So they're like totally bashing the whole match. It's insane. And then he squeals though at cool parts. Yeah, like at cool flips, like with Ricochet and Osprey at the end. He goes, oh! like at the end, like Chuck E. T. is like squealing. It well, was so weird. They both have red solo cups in front of them, so they may have had a beer or two yeah, by the I, time they got to that match. Uh, I think it was one of their little loopy calls. But Maybe they were, you know, sipping the, the juice. I thought, you know, while there were some good things that happened during the match, it really was like the last five to seven minutes of the match that was just pure insanity. To me, the very end is really <laughs> where it's at. Like the last sequence where it's kind of like Matt tries to set up Ricochet for the Melter Driver, but somehow Ricochet wiggles out and actually gets Matt in position for the Melter Driver. Uh, and as Nick, you know, while all this is happening, Nick's about to jump off to do the Melter, doesn't see that it becomes switched. And uh, before he can react or do anything, Osprey comes out of midair and almost like RKO's him. Yeah. It's so awesome. And I can't remember if this is when our, like Randy was kind of making fun of Osprey, so the RKO was almost like a nod to Randy Orton, like, uh, bashing This was Indies. 2016 Battle of Los Angeles, so that's probably a little before that. I don't know, but because, like, Randy Orton had said a lot of right. things, and uh, Osprey had responded by doing RKOs at different indie shows. But you're right, this might have been before then, but regardless, it was impressive nonetheless. And then um, they do... Matt Seidel comes out of nowhere, and he does a shooting star melter driver while Ricochet has, you know, Matt in the, the tombstone position. So they kind of stole the Bucks' move, but made it crazier by doing the shooting star instead of a regular, you know, s- splash. Then, or a regular flip. Then, to end the match, both uh, all three, Seidel, Ricochet, and Osprey do shooting stars for the win. Yeah, it was... Uh, so that's the last kind of sequence that's crazy. That that was so spectacular and picturesque. And at that point, the crowd is just going ape 
you know what. So they say five star match. They're chanting that at the end, and like I think Meltzer did give it five stars, if I remember. I think so. So uh, if you get the chance to watch that match, Battle of Los Angeles 2016, one of Dave Meltzer's favorites in person. Certainly, the match is decent, but the last seven minutes may be the most incredible wrestling you've ever seen it is wild but like again i i love so many pwg matches really i feel like you can get this level of excitement from this match from any pwg match that's how great pwg is all around honestly well speaking of the young bucks uh why don't we turn our attention to aew Mm -hmm. and uh this weekend they have a a show that uh, you can watch for free it's called fighter fest and uh, we're not going to go through the whole card or anything. Uh, the show is Saturday night. Certainly some intriguing matches, though, on this show. I, I think I'm most pumped for Moxley versus Joey Janela. Yeah, that's I'm be- really into Joey Janela right now. I love that dude. <laughs> He's so weird and so crazy <laughs> and so offensive. But there's something I just love about him. Well, the Young Bucks are going to uh, team up with Kenny Omega against the Lucha Brothers and Laredo Kid. You know that's going to be insane. Oh, yeah, it's going to be incredible. <laughs> oh. uh, I'm kind of interested to see this Cody versus Darby Allen. Uh, we watched a few clips of Darby Allen to familiarize ourselves with him. We we, we knew he was from Evolve, but uh, watching some of the crazy stuff he does and watching the little seven-minute vignette about him, uh, he's definitely an interesting, I don't know if you want to say emotional, troubled. Yeah, you know, like there's emo. All, yeah, emo. Kind of, I mean... So I'm, I'm edgy emo. I don't know. I'm interested to see that match, but they, he had a good vignette too when they announced he was going to be a part of All In. He had a very cool kind of uh, intro vignette. So he's had some cool packages made about him for sure. That should be interesting. Uh, Hangman versus MJF versus Jimmy Havoc versus Jungle Boy should be incredible. Second match I'm looking forward to, tied with the Bucks match too. I mean, I. I I'm really looking forward to this one because I love MJF. I love Adam Page in the ring, and Jimmy Havoc is my boy. Jungle Boy I like a lot too, but I've seen him in PWG, but I really I wish I've seen more from him. But the main three out of four I'm super, super really excited for because I know them. And then Jungle Boy, he's got a lot of promise, and I've liked a lot of things I've seen from him. So uh, Saturday night, Fighter Fest. We're uh, looking forward to that. Uh, looks like eight matches officially announced so far. Should be a lot of fun. Uh, coming next weekend is the start of the G1, and uh, there's been some shows in Japan leading up to the G1, and a match between Yoshihashi and Zack Saber for the spot in the G1, and you were oh, worried. <laughs> I was so worried, but thank goodness the result is what it should be. You know, I could have seen Yoshihashi winning, and they were trying to give him a push and everything. I could have seen them trying to make him more legitimate. But he ended up just losing. Zack Sabre Jr. retains his spot. I think this is the right thing because then we get to see the kind of matches that I want to see <laughs> in the G1. Like I, I had some really great matchups that I was looking forward to with Zack Sabre Jr., like him versus Osprey and stuff. Yeah, yeah. No. So if it was Yoshihashi, it would just kind of like... Eh, eh. Yeah, exactly. You know, I like Yoshihashi is the thing. I'm not totally against him. A lot of people are like, we talked about last week, Yoshi Trashy, they're calling him that, bashing him. It's not that, it's not that I don't like him or I'm like super unentertained. It's just that like him or Zack Sabre Jr. in the tournament, come on, Zack Sabre Jr. You can't not have him in the tournament. I agree. I agree. And you know who else you can't have, not have in the tournament, Suzuki. but somehow he's not in the tournament, although he's not happy about it. 
It's Suzuki. Suzuki. <laughs> uh, how about that promo this week? Another fantastic promo. That's basically warning New Japan. I I told you you're running out of time. I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah. Uh, just a great promo. It was an awesome promo. And this is like another one in like a string of right. great ones. I just wish, you know, somehow, some way it'll work out. To where he'll be in it somehow. Well, it's like I thought they were going to do what they did with Zack Sabre Jr. and Yoshihashi. To where he was going to have a match where he could kind of like earn his spot and take it away from somebody else. Well, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that something will happen at that show in Dallas. So we get to see Suzuki somehow. That would be great. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't want to hold my brother get my hopes up too high. But you know, we actually didn't get a chance to watch too much New Japan. Because we were catching up so much on WWE and other things. And we did watch some old WWF, so that yep. took up a lot of time. But we did make time for that Suzuki promo. And if you haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. It is tremendous stuff. Suzuki's Angry my, Suzuki. Oh, man. Suzuki's <laughs> my, my, my background. Yeah. <laughs> so... Check that out, and of course, next week we are going to be talking all about the start of the G1 that we will be at in Dallas. Finally, uh, Ring of Honor's Best in the World. Uh, our podcast, of course, drops on Friday, so we're not going to talk about the show because m- most people will be watching it. But news did come out this week that Colt Cabana is not going to be able to to wrestle because of those blood clots. I know he's disappointed, but a nice video came out about him. Yeah, on NWA's YouTube channel, which we've talked about before, they usually release the 10 Pounds of Gold series there. But this week, they released a package just about Colt, and it was custom-recorded audio from Colt talking about you know his journey as a wrestler, the last 20 years, him wrestling, and his experiences had great footage with him interacting with fans, including, like, a great shot of, like, Colt holding up a little <laughs> baby. It was so cute. But it just really heartfelt, like, message from Colt, and at the very end, he talks about how disappointed he is that he can't wrestle in the NWA match, but he knows his body is telling him he can't do it. The doctors are telling him he can't do it. He knows his body, and it's just not right. And if he wants to wrestle for the next 10 years, he wants to keep doing what he's doing, he thinks it's best not to go through and wrestle this match and I respect that for you know him knowing enough to say I'm gonna not do this yeah can't risk it uh blood clots are no uh no joke uh, you know you know Chris Bosch of uh, the Miami Heat ha- ended up having to retire because of blood clots in his legs so uh serious business for Colts uh, unfortunately He's not going to be in it, but we'll find out in the pre-show who will replace him in team with Nick Aldis. And we'll, right. of course, talk about that show next week. And... Well, Nick Aldis did tease that the person who will be replacing Colt has signed an exclusive contract with NWA. Yeah. So that's the only thing we know. Yeah. So I don't know who it could be, but like you said, we're going to find out on the pre-show. So we will talk about that and all the other great matches on Best in the World Next week, a little bit on this podcast, but we're going to have a dedicated podcast right after Best in the World Friday night, so make sure you join us on Wrestling Inc. We'll take your questions and talk all about what should be a really good show from Baltimore. Jeff Cobb versus Matt Taven. Heck yeah. Yep, some good stuff. Uh, Very much looking forward to it. Shane Taylor versus Bandito. Oh, gosh, yeah. I can't (laughs) wait. So that's going to be great. Uh, But when we come back, we will talk to Chikara founder Mike Quackenbush about a multitude of topics. Two-Face Wrestling Talk is proud to be sponsored by Wrestling Travel. Check them out on Twitter at Wrestling Travel. 
also go to their website, wrestlingtravel.org, to find out about all the exciting travel packages, including a travel package to All Out, which includes four nights hotel stay, StarCast Platinum Bracelet, and a lower bowl ticket across from the hard cam. They also have a very fun Wrestle Kingdom travel package, which includes round-trip airfare, five-night hotel near the Tokyo Dome, lower bowl tickets to both days of Wrestle Kingdom, and guided tours by being the Elite's fat-ass Masa. <laughs> Come on, who wouldn't want to hang out with Masa? I think that's like the coolest thing they offer. <laughs> you get to have some time with him, meet him, interact with him. He'll literally be hanging with you. And you'd get to be a part of the first two-day Wrestle Kingdom, which is going to be really special, in my opinion. They also have travel packages to WWE events, including WrestleMania 36, which you can sign up for information at WrestlingTravel.org. And they've got packages to the Royal Rumble as well, plus other events too. Check out their website. There are USA travel packages, but also UK travel packages. So whether you live in the UK or where we live in the United States, <laughs> you can find something for you. Also, don't forget they've got a friendly staff that can help you out. DM them on Twitter or contact them through their website. Thanks, Wrestling Travel. Hey guys, want to increase your performance and get that extra confidence? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. B-L-U-E. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as the pill. So you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. <laughs> Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness except for this right here. Yeah, I know. This is pretty awkward. <laughs> Whatever. Go ahead. Uh, they're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com. Again, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W.com. Get your first shipment free when you use our promo code, Kelsey. That's my name. <laughs> K-E-L-S-I. That's how it's spelled. All you have to do is pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code K-E-L-S-I to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And gosh, it means so much to us that they're sponsoring the podcast. So please your lady and please us by going to <laughs> BlueChew.com. Our Two-Faced Wrestling Talk logo was inspired by Two-Face, the Batman animated series character and his coin. The logo was designed by the talented and creative artist Eric Hudson. Eric creates wrestling-themed pieces as well as other pop culture art. He is also currently working on a Roddy Piper comic book. You can follow him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Dreaded Dinosaur. You can also support his work by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash dreaded dinosaur. Please check out his work. And now back to Two-Face Wrestling Talk. I had the privilege and honor of talking with Mike Quackenbush, you know, founder of Chikara, founder of the Wrestle Factory, and so, so much more. He's a podcaster. He also just started a YouTube series, and a lot of the things he does actually benefits aspiring pro wrestlers. I think that's really admirable and such a stand-up guy, really eloquent, too. We talk about that. We actually mention a lot of things that we talked about earlier in this podcast. He talks about Zack Sabre Jr. as one of his favorite opponents. He talks about Colt Cabana and how much he enjoys him. Also, he's had some great matches with Cabana, and he referenced some of that. And he also mentioned the the news about Bischoff and 
Haman. So a lot of things that we talked about today are mentioned in the interview. And that's not really intentional. It just kind of <laughs> happened. So really worked out perfectly. Can't wait for you guys to hear it. I think you'll love it. Well, thanks so much, Mike, for joining me. I am so excited to get to talk to you. Truly a man of many talents. I say that about a lot of people I get to talk to because I get to talk to so many wonderful, multifaceted, multi-talented people. And you're one of those people and somebody I truly respect. Uh, one of the things I think you do that I really, really admire is you take time to kind of give the next generation of pro wrestlers advice. And you do that in a multitude of ways. You do that on Twitter. You do that. You just launched a new YouTube series. And you do that through your podcast, Kfabe 2.0. Uh, why did you feel it was important to give back and to mentor people? Well, uh, first, thanks for those kind words, Kelsey. I think the the reason that that's important to me is how my own story begins, like my own weird origin tale in all of wrestling. When I first break in, I don't have a coach or a mentor or anybody to look out for me. And in the first three years of my career, one, I have probably most of the worst injuries I, I suffer during my entire active time. The, the worst by far is I fracture the back of my skull and I have a seizure in the ring. Uh, so that accident in particular stands out in my mind. But I just make every kind of mistake that there is to make. There was nobody to be like, hey, man, that's not how we do it. Or, you know, that's, that doesn't really work here. Because of this, I think I was handicapped to a degree. And I think I could have accomplished a lot more if I'd had that knowledge, if I'd had that information. And me breaking into pro wrestling predates the ubiquity of the Internet. There is no Google to search for the answers. If I couldn't find a wrestling school in my phone book, which was really the case, I flipped through the yellow pages and there wasn't anything there, I didn't know where to begin. I don't want someone else to waste their formative years the way I feel mine were wasted. And that fuels a lot of it, like Kayfabe 2.0, the new YouTube series, Till We Make It, that is the underlying idea. I love that because it's just something that I think aspiring pro wrestlers have today that people like you didn't have, just like you mentioned, and it's just a tool that they should really take advantage of. So how can they find your new YouTube series and how can they find Kayfabe 2.0? Well, Till We Make It, which is brand new to YouTube, uh, and it's T-I-L, Till We Make It, you probably find it with, with one search. And we're going to publish new videos every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. There's new content hitting that YouTube channel. What I've heard so far from people just in the very brief time that it has been live, one, I've loved hearing from some of my veteran friends saying, this is the kind of information I wish I had when I was getting in. So I felt like, okay, we're hitting the mark. That's the sweet spot. Or I've also heard from some people who have said, I've been thinking about beginning training. There's a school near me, or I went to visit a school. I observed like a free open house type event. And this has really helped me make up my mind. Some making the decision, this is not for me, or some making the decision, hey, I do think I want to chase this, just because they have more information available so they can make the right decision. That I really have enjoyed hearing. If you're interested in Kayfabe 2.0, which is kind of an exploration of the challenges of performing in front of modern audiences, there's a lot of wisdom out there that's outdated about pro wrestling performance. If you're looking for a very modern and frank take on it, Kayfabe 2.0, it's my free podcast. Season 3 will be wrapping up in about a month. It's out there on all the major platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, blah, 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 blah. Wherever you get your podcast, it's probably there. 
I really love Kayfabe 2.0, especially this one particular episode really speaks to me. And I'm not trying to be a pro wrestler or anything, but I think the episode in season two, I think it was Horizons. I feel like that speaks to anybody. It's about setting goals and realistic goals as well as long term goals. And I think that really can ring true for content creators as well as wrestlers. So it's not just for aspiring wrestlers. It could be for anybody who's interested in the behind the scenes of the business in performing in content creation or just in, you know, being professional in life. I think there's something you can take from it from a multitude of angles. So I love that Horizons episode. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And I'm also always delighted when I find there are these broader applications for what I talk about, whether it's a stand-up comedian reaches out and says, you know, this episode really applies to what we do or a band says, you just described our scenario perfectly or like yourself, a content creator who was able to take something really valuable away from it. I love finding those points of intersection between this very narrow, bizarre thing that I love and all these other genres that it touches. So when did you find out you wanted to help people? Like, I know you said you didn't have somebody, so that kind of inspired it. But was there a particular moment, especially right before you founded, you know, the Wrestle Factory? Did you say, I really want to teach and pass along? Like, was there one moment that that made you do this? I don't think that there was. And prior to the formation of the Wrestle Factory, and we incorporate January of 2002, uh, I think the idea was that we wanted to just represent a fresh perspective, an alternative to what was happening in pro wrestling, really like from the end of 2000 through 2001, which is a transformative period. WCW and ECW disappear off the main stage. It begins this kind of monopoly period in American sports entertainment. And the need for something that did not feel or taste like tail end of attitude era WWF mm -hmm. th there was a need for something uh, yeah. consciously or unconsciously the products of the wrestle factory which become Chikara it begets Chikara we are kind of by we're meant to be that it, it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum but as WWF turns into WWE and then they become a very different beast over the decade that follows um, you know, what people's tastes are, of course, also change. And it's an ever-evolving beast. You know, wrestling is ever-evolving. I think that's what makes it so great as an art form. There's so many different kinds of wrestling that people can enjoy. And you mentioned Chikara. Let's kind of move into that right now. Chikara is a very different flavor of wrestling. It's really unique and different, and I love it. I think that if people don't know about it, I think they should definitely go out of their way to check it out. What do you think makes Chikara special? Why should people check it out? Well, it's, it's funny you bring that up in that way because I was just chatting with someone last night over this idea of, I think many people who only have a cursory knowledge of Chikara, like they've seen a clip or a gif, they probably have seen like a very comedic moment from Chikara. Like the invisible grenade is probably the single most watched video related to Chikara. And I think that informs what people think our entire body of work is like. They're like, oh, it must be comedy wrestling, maybe, for lack of a better term. What I think distinguishes Chikara from virtually everything else that's out there is it is the closest thing to a comic book come to life that we could realize. It's heavily serialized, long-form storytelling. So if you're looking maybe for like an antidote to really ephemeral short-form storytelling of the kind where... Something starts in hour one of a TV show on Monday night and it's resolved by hour number two and forgotten by hour number three and completely irrelevant by Sunday's pay-per-view. Uh, 
And don't get me wrong, right? There are people that want their content that rapid fire. This is the opposite end of the spectrum. It right. really rewards people for paying attention. You do see complete character arcs. You do see complete stories being told. And sometimes I think people are shocked that the storytelling does get as dark as it does, especially if the only thing they know are some slapsticky clips of ours that went viral. Right, right. I I think Jakara is so unique. I think what makes you unique is that the storytelling takes such a precedence. And you talked about comic book come to life. I kind of want to talk about the first thing I've ever seen from you. It was right after I got into wrestling. I got into wrestling a little bit later in life as opposed to most people. Um, the Art of Pro Wrestling, your speech you did at Ignite Philly. That was one of my first introductions mm. to you. And I think that was one of my favorite things I had ever heard. You talked about you know, why pro wrestling is different than other art forms, how dynamic it is. And you literally mentioned comic book come to life and that's your favorite style of wrestling can you tell me a little bit about what pro wrestling means to you and what you think of it as an art form well when i was a kid the thing that captured my imagination most was watching live action superhero shows like the adam west batman there's this dreadful late 70s spider-man show with nicholas hammond in it uh, which i love i'm unabashed about loving it um, and like all these weird serialized or syndicated shows I watched when I was a kid, Superboy was in syndication or there's a Canadian show called My Secret Identity. Uh, if I could have made a show just like that, if I had those resources available to me and I don't have the resources to make a television show, I probably would have gone and made that. But once I discovered that there are flavors of pro wrestling and the first guy to really indicate that to me is Jushin Liger. The first time I see him on WCW, it's 1991 or two, I want to say, he's in a tag team match on WCW Saturday night. He is a comic book character. So right. When I would hear people say like, oh, you know, the, these WWF guys, they're just like, you know, larger than life superheroes. And I would tune in and see Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. I would think, no, I don't feel that way about it. But there was something about Jushin Liger that made me feel like, yes. He comes out with a cape, he's got a mask, he's got a full costume, he does flips, he does acrobatics, he flies through the air. This I'm on board with. And then it just kind of became, as it became an obsession, and it, it takes over my life. And I don't doubt anybody who is really, really impassioned about professional wrestling, you go through this exact same process, where slowly wrestling begins to corrupt every avenue of your life, right? <laughs> your school yes. projects are suddenly all about that. That's what you read about in magazines. That's what you go online to engage about. When you have downtime, that's what you watch to decompress. And then, oh my gosh, I have a closet full of wrestling t-shirts. How did that happen? And oh my gosh, <laughs> suddenly my social circle is informed by people whose taste in wrestling matches mine. And then you realize it took over your life. It was just a matter of merging all my interests and then expressing it. And, and the expression is Chikara, especially since we were only eight months into our existence when my business partner, Tom Carter, resigned from Chikara. From that moment forward, it became mine to shape. And at times I admit it was even unconsciously. I will look back at storylines we told and realize I am really expressing something that I was wrestling with in my real life but doing it through my art form. That's so relatable. And I think that's why people are drawn to that type of storytelling and that type of wrestling. Um, I just think it's universally, you know, uniting. You, you can always relate to something in wrestling, especially the way you're speaking of. And 
you know, like it's an escapist experience. That's something that you mentioned in the Art of Pro Wrestling speech as well, talking about how it's it's like a movie, but better because you have that interaction with the performer. And I think that's what makes wrestling such a unique form of art, unlike any other. Um, but let's talk a little bit about Jushin Thunder Liger. I know I've heard you talk about him a lot on Kayfabe 2.0, about how it was a goal of yours to actually get in the ring with him, and that actually happened. So talk about Jushin and how important he was to you and the feeling you had when you got to actually share the ring with him. Yeah, I've been fortunate enough. I both wrestled Liger and I have teamed with Liger. So wrestling against him was very intimidating to me. And that was also the very first day I ever met him. I meet him in the afternoon, and that evening we are wrestling each other. And there is a sort of unspoken decorum that you are expected to maintain in the world of pro wrestling. And all these unwritten rules, by the way, are exactly why I have Till We Make It. Nevertheless, (laughs) um, I felt like if this is the only day of my entire life that I am in a space with this guy, he's sitting across the room from me, Uh, looking kind of bored out of his mind. Do I want to go over and just, in the best of my ability, and he does speak English, to the best of my ability, should I attempt to articulate how powerfully he's influenced my life? Do I want to impart to this guy? You know, the reason I am here and the reason that I thought I could chase this and it eventually became my passion is thanks to you. But that unwritten rule of wrestling is you never have that conversation. Because to do that means I have stopped being a professional and I'm once again being a fan. And once you go behind the curtain, you can be one of those but not the other. However, as time has gone on, thankfully, a lot of these obsolete tenets have been washed out of wrestling. And I want to believe, and maybe this is ignorant of me, but I want to believe that even if something like that feels mildly inappropriate or even a tad cheesy... All of that can be subverted by a real sincere expression of how you feel. Uh, And that's really what I wanted from the day. More than anything, and I know I came into the match injured. He was coming in injured. I thought, I want to make him feel like he has the night off. We are going to have so much fun out there. And it's just going to be such easy work together that he feels like I gave him a night off. But before it was all said and done... I did want to find that moment to impart to him how very important he is to me. Uh, Given how many thousands of people he probably meets every year, I was astonished when we met again uh, two, three years later, um, how vividly he remembered our match and our interaction and everything else. And teaming him was just such pure joy that should you watch the match back, you will see I am powerless to remove the smile from my face, (laughs) despite the fact that... About three minutes into a 22-minute match, I shattered my right leg. And that signals uh, a period of inactivity that begins. Thereafter, I don't wrestle again for over three years. And for a majority of those three years, I walk with a cane. Jeez. I mean, I just think it's so powerful that you were able to share the ring with him in more than one way. And did get to kind of express how you felt. I... I actually am very curious because, you know, Liger is going on a retirement tour right now mm-hmm. and you are celebrating your 25th anniversary, you know, from wrestling. Mm-hmm. So it's, and I know you put out the call on YouTube for different performers cause you want to have 25 matches over this next year. I would sure love to see a Liger Quackenbush match again. I mean, would you enjoy that? 
that's definitely something I would look forward to. And, and I know I've not mentioned this publicly before, so I don't mind saying it here. Uh, there have been two promoters already that reached out expressing that they want to try to make that happen. And at least one of them, for whatever reason, I think it's a logistics issue. We already know that became a dead end. But it is not impossible. And although almost immediately, I really thought when I put that out there into the world, I thought, okay, I'm going to go out now and I'm going to go grab a cup of coffee. And I bet by the time I get back home, I'm going to have two or three messages waiting in my inbox, right? Right. What a foolhardy thought that was on my part. So that day alone, I got over 150 emails from people, whether it was promoters saying, we would like to put you in the ring with this person, or it was just my fellow wrestlers reaching out and saying, hey, it would really mean a lot to me if we had a chance to do the dance. Do you think we could do it here or in this month? Or I'm going to be close to you then. Could we do it? And I was just I was overwhelmed. Like, I didn't know where to begin. And my particularly weird brand of OCD mandates, I want an inbox that says zero when I go to bed every night. Right. I need inbox zero. So when I came back and I saw inbox said 151, I was like, oh, God, oh, what's going on? Um, <laughs> so is it a possibility? Yes. And I would certainly relish it if it came true. Of the 25 matches that I want to try and get done before that date comes back around next May, I've already committed to 17 of them, and many of them have already begun to be advertised. I get to go to Winnipeg, Manitoba. That's going to be great fun. I'm going to get to go to Madrid, Spain. Uh, we're working out details now for something that's going to take place in Ireland. There's something on the table for Australia. It's really been very um, heartwarming and edifying that from all these different corners of the globe to just hear from people, many of whom I don't know them, reaching out and saying, hey, you really had an impact on me. And for that reason, I would love the chance for us to wrestle. Um, I, I think what I imagined the experience was going to be like and what it turned out to be like have been two radically different things. But in the best way, I'm sure, because yes. like, that's such a flattering thing. Uh, I can't wait to see some of these matches unfold. And I also think it's pretty cool how after your 25th anniversary video, you released an old video of you and Colt Cabana, someone who I really love. Uh, you released one of your old matches, and I thought it was just wonderful. Of Thank course, you. he's he's out right now, sidelined with some blood clots. I just interviewed him not that long ago, but both of you guys, two of my favorites, really love seeing that old match. I hope people check it out. It's on YouTube, on Shakar's YouTube. Mm -hmm. uh, they should really go and find it if they haven't already seen it. It's wonderful. What do you think about that match? Do you remember much about it? I do. There's a series of three matches that Colt and I have, um, one of which is at the very first National Pro Wrestling Day event. One is that one that you saw in Chicago at the Logan Square Auditorium. And then there's one that we did in a small theater, I think, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. We had a, we had a series of three. And each of them was more fun than the one before it. Because although Cabana and I had wrestled uh, in the early and mid OOs, this doesn't come around. I, I want to say they're all from 2012 or 13, give or take. So we had both grown and evolved quite a lot as performers, and we also love a lot of the really strange dialects of wrestling. What's most plainly on display there is the somewhat um, obsolete style from the world of sport program in the 70s and 80s that British guys like Johnny Saint are masters at. What's great about that, and I'm sure you can just see it if you watch the match, half that match is about us trying to make each other laugh with mm -hmm. the weird and wacky ways we are going to come out of holds. Um, and that's kind of always the mission when Cabana and I are together. What I like about that, then, 
when I often watch these matches back, just some personal insight into what my own process is like, I don't always watch the match. I watch the audience. What are they enjoying? Right. What makes them laugh? What makes them feel like we're seeing something unique and different? Or are they disengaged? Are they on their phones? Are they bored? Uh, and then I try to cultivate, you know, my so-called set list that way. These are the things that people like. And what I discovered through the Cabana series of matches, probably more than any other matches in my whole career, the discovery I walked away with was when it is so open and obvious to the audience how much we are enjoying wrestling each other, they are enjoying it too. I think that's such a powerful feeling too. And both of you guys kind of evoke that for me, you know, with together in that match I watched, but also against a multitude of opponents, the both of you, um, Cabana just has such a presence and so good at making people smile. And I think you do the same too. And you know what actually makes me smile about you is your promos and speeches. They come from the heart. They're so passionate. And a lot of times you're just selling the story and you make the audience believe you know, in the match and what you're saying and what you're selling. And sometimes in the whole promotion, if you're promoting Chikara, you've done so many powerful promos. Can you tell me about, you know, how you learn to speak to the audience in such a way, how you learn to convey your ideas and thoughts so eloquently? Well, that's very kind of you to say. And um, it, it just kind of develops over time, I think, from listening to people who move you as speakers, right? You might listen to the I Have a Dream speech by Martin Luther King Jr., and you latch on to something there that really, like, man, it lights a fire inside of you. Um, there's a speaker that I love to listen to. He's a marketing consultant. His name is Simon Sinek, and he's got a couple brilliant TED Talks. He's also the author of numerous books. And if he ever comes to your town, by the way, I was stunned to find this. He came to Philadelphia once, and I thought, I'm going to go see him live and in person. When I saw what the ticket prices were, I was like, no, I think I'll stick with those TED Talks. Thank you very <laughs> yeah, much. Yeah, I'm sure it's expensive. Uh, but <laughs> uh, I, I just try to, you know, hone into what is it about this performance that moves me? And something that very recently on the, on the heels of the success of the movie Bohemian Rhapsody that I think became part of like the popular discussion again, there's probably no performance I've watched more than Freddie Mercury at Live Aid. What is it about how he does what he does that makes me feel such a raw, unbridled, you know, just tidal wave of charisma and confidence that just emits from him like a bright light bulb Yes. And then I just try to pull that in through my own lens. Um, you know, the way that's going to come out through me won't feel like Freddie Mercury because it goes through my lens. It won't feel like Simon Sinek or it won't feel like I have a dream. It won't feel like any of those. But it just has to kind of come back out that way. Part of the way I get there is, one, I must really know the message inside and out. I don't want to be worried about, oh, am I saying these words correctly or blah, 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 blah. I've got to get past those mechanical issues and I've got to own the message inside and out. So I've got to know every little nuance of it. I've got to know it cold, what, what I want from it. But in addition to that, then, once I feel really confident about the material, I never want to rush. And a lot of the promos that people have reacted to very powerfully, they are long, I don't think you can microwave those kinds of emotions. There's a right. reason a cake must bake. And yes, I could put a cake in the microwave, but it's not going to taste quite as delicious as the cake I took the time to bake. 
And in an age where short-form content is necessitated by the platforms that inform our lives, whether it's Twitter or it's Instagram or all these other, you know, means of absorbing ephemera that are out there, sometimes that long-form stuff seems ill-suited to current audiences' attention spans. And yet, sometimes it is my promos that last four, five, and six minutes that grab people the most. Uh, and although I don't think of it as a promo, I don't think of it as a promotional message per se. Right. Ignite Philly 16, one of the two Ignite talks that I did, uh, the one that you referenced, The Art of Pro Wrestling, I've never had such an enormous volume of response to anything I've said in the public sphere as that. And you've got to listen to that for a solid five minutes for it to reach its crescendo. I have a lot of groundwork I've got to lay to get the audience to understand the conclusion that I'm working toward. And, you know, it's like Little Brother Ignite Philly 20, where I, I have a piece called Your Best Work. Similarly, it takes that long for me to reach a crescendo. And if I had a director behind the camera or, you know, signaling me from the back of the room saying, hey, your 60 seconds are up, I would never get to that depth of emotion. Yeah. I mean, it was just perfectly crafted because you bring in the word fake again at the very end. After you talk about how hurtful fake is, then you go through, you know, all the struggles that people have to go through and what wrestling can mean to the performer and the audience. And then you connect it back to, you know, that connection is not fake. And it's just it's a perfect payoff. It's like the perfectly crafted. I love that so much. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, it's just I know you don't want to call it a promo because it was more like a speech or a talk, but it was like it was a promo in a way, and I just love it. It's one of my favorites, and I think it's giving the audience who might not know about wrestling kind of a perfect glimpse of what it can be to people. Yeah, I, I hope that that's what its legacy will be as it lives on, that it is that entry point for people to have the context to understand what's wonderful about pro wrestling if prior to that they had maybe made up their mind that it's anything but. Exactly. And did you have a favorite promo guy when you were a kid growing up? Because I know you've been a like a lifelong fan. Anybody you love to hear talk as a kid, as a fan? Jake the Snake Roberts had a magnetism to him because in an era of guys who were shouty and crazy and maybe roid ragey, he at times could be very measured. Uh, he really just went to the opposite end of the spectrum. If you'd hear like the Ultimate Warrior or Macho Man having these crazed, ranting, high energy promos, he would contrast it by being very quiet and very calculated. He <laughs> talked about things that were very relatable. So like I can think uh, there was a time... The Ultimate Warrior is talking about something coming from outer space. It might have been like on a WWF Challenge episode around the time he loses the title to Sergeant Slaughter. And he's talking about a message that comes down to him from outer space. And I thought, that's not something I can relate to. And yet, roughly in that same cycle, there's a promo by Jake where he talks about how two people trust each other. Why don't you trust me? And that was infinitely relatable. So that I found very magnetic. I could totally see that um, being a favorite of yours, and I can understand why he was truly a great promo guy, just very mm -hmm. menacing. Like, I like the lowness of his talking, like you referenced. It's just totally the opposite of most pro wrestlers, and I feel like you've kind of got a, a similar tone, not really menacing tone, but it's more like professional, not screaming tone that's a lot different than most people when you talk as well. Yeah, I don't know what it would sound like if I was suddenly like a screamy guy, like if I was one of the road warriors and I had one of those. I don't know what that would sound like. But I think it would sound not you. I don't know. Right. And I, I do think, especially after 25 years in the game, people would know that, that they would know that 
this is a put on. That's not really how Mike sounds. And, uh, you know, the weird thing about inhabiting the Mike Quackenbush character for 25 years is that he has become me and I have become him in some ways. I didn't start out as him. He, I assigned to him these characteristics that I wish that I had. And I, I wrestle my very first match while I'm still a senior in high school. It's May 20th, 1994. I don't graduate high school for another two weeks. So as a high school senior, I wished that I had the confidence of the guys that I saw in the ring. I wished that I had that charisma or that bravado, but I did not. But I could assign that to the fictional character that I created. But because I assigned him these aspirational traits over the years, slowly I've become more like him. And, and similarly, his voice has become my own. Um, I, uh, sometimes I am criticized. People say, oh, well, you know, like you use these big words in your promos and maybe people don't necessarily understand your vocabulary and you're going to lose an audience like that. And that's very isolationist. And I think the way I talk is just a very natural way of talking for me. And I don't think that you lose the context of what I'm saying. If every once and again, there's a weird and wacky word in there. I think the feeling of what I'm transmitting to you trumps all of that. Exactly. And to the people who have criticized, I actually like the bigger words. I like that because not a lot of other wrestlers are doing that at all. So I think it's different. I mean, like you said, flavor and variety is important, not only in wrestling, but in life and in all areas, especially I think when you're giving a promo or even when you're wrestling, uh, you know, in an actual match, those types of things are important variety. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I was going to use one word that sums it up, the master of a thousand holds is precise. And I am not just precise in the holds that I choose or the escapes that I employ, but I'm precise in every piece of my pro wrestling presentation. And that must be reflected in the way I verbalize. Exactly. So your character is completely well-rounded and makes perfect sense in all avenues. It all ties together. So it just fits you perfectly. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> and it has to be congruous um, because especially in this day and age where there's so much wrestling to be consumed at any moment of any day, fans are so attuned and they sniff out the inauthentic in a heartbeat. Yes, that is so true. So speaking of wrestling today, um, you know, I feel like the landscape is changing quite a bit and technology kind of plays a part in it. YouTube, I think, has played a huge part in that as well. But uh, th there's a lot of different factors. What do you think about the wrestling climate right now? I think this year, 2019, is the most interesting year pro wrestling has had since 2002 which is the first year where there is no WCW or ECW. What happens in that vacuum? And now here we are, right? We're, we're 17, 18 years on. Uh, 2019 is such a fascinating era. The arrival of All Elite, how that is affecting like the, the whole pool, right? Uh, what are the, right. It's not just how they're acting. How is everyone reacting to them? And in these reactions, what are we learning about the other players that are out there? Um, even just the news this morning about Eric Bischoff and Paul Heyman. I want to look at that and then read between the lines to imagine how is this a reaction to everything else that's going on? Yes. And then what part of the equation is made up by New Japan? What part of the equation is made up over here? What, what does this mean if we've lost the spices that Lucha Underground were bringing to the table now because... It doesn't seem as if the budgeting's coming through for another season. 
all of these constant, you know, ins and outs. We're putting a sprinkle of this in and we're taking a little bit of this out. And now let's add a dash of this. Um, it's as much fun to be part of it this year as it has been in the last 16 plus years. As someone covering wrestling, it's just especially fascinating this year. What's going to happen? It just your brain goes and thinks about this endlessly. There's so many possibilities, and it's an exciting time, I think, for fans, for wrestlers, for content creators, for everyone involved. And uh, so many places to go, so many wrestling companies to watch. Uh, the the choices are just endless. I think that adds a lot to it. Yes, and having that variety is for the best. A monopoly is only ever in the best interest of whomever holds the monopoly and nobody else, including the consumers. I totally agree with that mentality, 100%. And, uh, you know, you you did co-found the Wrestle Factory and trained a lot of people there, mm-hmm. including Cesaro is one of the graduates there. Right. And, of course, now he's with WWE. But you actually have also guest coached and guest trained in NXT at WWE. So talk about that experience. What was that like? Yes, I, I believe I have become the most frequent guest coach at the Performance Center. I've been down there seven or eight times. And, yeah, so in addition to, you know, the, the stuff that I've done at the Wrestle Factory, and, and I agree, I think Cesaro is the most famous of our graduates. Um, probably right behind him is Drew Gulak, the new cruiserweight champion. In addition to that, you know, I'd also gone all over the world training people. Alistair Black, I trained him in the Netherlands. He did not come to my Wrestle Factory in the United States. And then there are other, other people who I helped hone right before they went to the big stage, like Ruby Riot, Luke Harper, etc. Right. So, all of that kind of made it feel as if some of my fingerprints were already there. Um, it, it was a very friendly environment to walk into. And I realized that WWE is a massive corporation, and it's got many, many tentacles. And the tentacle I'm speaking of, of course, is one of them that's under the purview of Triple H. I'd heard from some of my friends, they said the Performance Center is the most pure place you'll go in WWE. When you go to the other tentacles, you're going to find the waters you'll swim in there can be dicier. But at the Performance Center, there is really one vision, and that is we are just here to make everybody better. And since that fits very neatly with my ethos, enough people had recommended, and then I ended up down there. And for a while, my mission seemed to be... I was charged with a directive of we need bolder characters to make more dynamic storylines. Well, great. I love doing that type of character work. I'm, that, that really gets me going. So I'm happy to be aimed in that direction. And for a while, I had 12 people that I was assigned to specifically with that as the directive. So being able to switch gears, like if I go down there and they were to say to me, hey, you're doing the intermediate classes all week long, so just jump in the ring with these people and keep in mind that you're going to have half a class of people who don't speak any English, great. That's the exact kind of fun challenge I wish I had every day when I show up to work. Or yeah. if I get down there and they say, these are some people that are really struggling to find their identity uh, in terms of their in-ring persona, could you help them with that? Awesome. That, too, is the kind of work that I love. And the variety of it has made it very rewarding, in addition to which I've got to make a lot of new friends. I have kind of taken on new protégés, even if it's a somewhat long-distance relationship, because uh, as very generous as the offers have been uh, repeatedly, I'm I'm not willing to relocate to Orlando. That's not what I'm going to be doing as a full-time job. It's not the right decision for me right now. Um, Not that it isn't very flattering to be asked, but 
you know, making all these new relationships, having the chance to pop in the ring and shine up or hone or load up new tools to somebody who, who might need them. Great. Uh, <laughs> you, you couldn't fill my calendar with enough of it. Seems very rewarding for sure. Seems like a really cool experience. And, you know, you've worked with a lot of wrestlers teaching them like the next generation. But again, let's go back a little bit to your actual in-ring career. As I referenced earlier in the interview, it's been over 25 years now. And I know you've probably gotten this question a zillion times, but I got to ask, I feel like my listeners and viewers who may not have heard would like to know, you know, can you name some of your favorite wrestlers to wrestle over the years that you've worked with? Well, I think of Claudio Cesaro as my simpatico. He's the one that would bring out the best in me, and I always worked to bring out the best in him. And together, we were able to create things together that uh, I, I was certainly never able to replicate with somebody else. And there is uh, a match that he and I have together, if you were going to try to seek one out. I know, it is, I know it's on YouTube in its entirety. And it, it is during the period where I feel like I'm at my athletic peak. I'm in my mid-30s. And Claudio and I wrestle each other at the... Uh, Ted Petty Invitational, the TPI, in 2006. And that is the day when all the things that we had been workshopping together in private, it was time to put them out on stage and see if they worked. And that match could have gone one of two ways. Chances are, if it had gone the one way, I wouldn't be recommending it to you. So you might want to seek <laughs> that one out. Um, I've had a couple really fun ones with Zack Sabre Jr., which I think are emblematic of the style that I do now, given... Every time I go to the ring, I must adjust what I do given the number and kinds of injuries that I've had over 25 years. So uh, that particular style, that may not be to your taste, but it is out there waiting for you. And if you like Zack Sabre's stuff, uh, I suspect that you will enjoy that. In fact, now that I'm saying that, it makes me realize the playlist that we did put together for my 25th anniversary has a handful of these exact matches in it, like the yes. Cabana match. The Zack match, one of the matches with Zack anyway. A tag team match uh, that happens to include Cesaro. Um, and I've had a couple just one-off weird ones that were such real pleasures. In February of 2002, I got to wrestle Eddie Guerrero in Lynn, Massachusetts, while he happened to briefly be on the independence between stints with WWF. That was such a rare pleasure. And... It doesn't exist on video. Like, there's just, it's not out there. It, it doesn't seem oh, to be. Oh, man. So I have photographs from the match. Um, PWI photographer Tim Walker happened to be there to, to capture it for posterity. But it's not quite the same as having the video footage of it, of course. And those kinds of moments where I am, I realize I am in the company of someone that I genuinely admire, if not idolize. Those are very, very special moments. And... Um, Certainly Eddie Guerrero makes that list. Jushin Liger, as we mentioned. Uh, the great Sasuke, the founder of Michinoku Pro, which is the inspiration mm -hmm. for Chikara. Having the chance to be in the ring with the great Sasuke. Manami Toyota, who in my opinion is the greatest female professional wrestler to ever live. And I mean that as no slight to the late great Mildred Burke. But uh, Manami Toyota is uh, massively influential on my career. Or even the few times I've been able to be in the locker room with the one, two, three kid, Sean Waltman, just having him as part of the Chikara gang, probably none more famously than the weekend of King of Trios, where on the final night, he ends up in a singles contest against El Generico 
in a barn burner of a match that reminded us all why we loved the one, two, three kid. Just sometimes having those kinds of experiences, um, they they almost trump any type of, you know, in-ring success or in-ring triumph that you could have. I, I have some matches that I am very proud of and I have certain opponents that I mesh with or our in-ring chemistry is such that I always look forward to seeing them again. In fact, last night as I was DMing back and forth with Colt Cabana on that very topic, that was kind of what I wanted to impart to him. And you'll get to a point, I think, whatever the thing is that you happen to be best at. If the thing you happen to be best at is you're a musician, you'll get to this point. If you're a comedian, if you are a YouTuber, if you are a podcaster, if you are a public speaker, whatever your avenue of expression is, You'll get to that point where you are comfortable in your own skin enough to be able to reach out to somebody and be like, hey, buddy, I miss you. And uh, I had to send one of those to my friend Colt Cabana last night as I was thinking about, among other things, those matches that you mentioned. Yeah. What good fun it is to be across the ring from someone as accomplished as he is. Yeah, I just really admire Colt. You know, you and he both have a history with NWA, and that's just like you're doing with this new YouTube series and you've done with Chikara's YouTube. I feel like NWA is doing great things with their YouTube channel. I feel like YouTube is such a powerful tool right now. Uh, You know, Colt just got featured, even though he's not in the match in the Ring of Honor pay-per-view anymore with Nick Aldis, they still really highlighted him and his impact on the fans and his career on NWA, NWA's YouTube channel. So I think YouTube's such a powerful tool for wrestlers today. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly worth tipping the cap to the fantastic work that David Lagana has done putting together, whether it's the ongoing series on that channel, right about the 10 pounds of gold yep. or any of the other stuff they are, they're doing over there. He is really flexing his muscles as a storyteller. And it's great to see him strutting his stuff, given what a long career he's had in pro wrestling And just being personal friends with Dave, knowing how frustrating some of that has been to him, or even thinking about where he was before all that began, before his first stint writing for WWE, he was a writer on the sitcom Friends. Yeah. Yeah, Dave was telling me, because I interviewed him a while back, you know, today, it's such an important time to tell emotional, good stories that not only the audience cares about, but the people creating the stories care about too. And it's such a great time that you don't even need a TV deal to do that. So it's it's so cool to see people like you and Dave using this tool. And it's to everyone's benefit, including us, the audience. So thank you guys so much for what you do. And just a few more questions. I know I've taken so much of your time, Mike. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, So I do want to ask for people who aren't familiar, you know, how did you name Chikara what it is, Chikara? Why did you pick that name? So Chikara is the Japanese word that means power, strength, or influence. And there was such a proliferation of wrestling organizations that seemed to just be a mouthful of letters. It was something, something, CW, WF, NWL, blah, 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 blah. And it just seemed like an easy way to get lost in the crowd. So we chose Chikara as a way of differentiating us, but also, I think, to kind of indicate that this is where the international influences will live. We very deliberately picked a word that wasn't English, right? It's Japanese. Right. uh, As kind of like a signpost to those. Like, before you come in, we want you to know if you're looking for standard issue, cookie cutter American pro wrestling, you're knocking on the wrong door. I love it. I think it's perfect. It totally suits what the promotion is all about, as you just stated. And I'm going to let you plug all of your projects in a second, but 
uh, I just want to ask this really philosophical question kind of to be my final question. In a hundred years, when we're all gone, what do you want people to think of you and know you for? What's the one thing you want to be remembered for when people see or read the name uh, or hear the name Mike Quackenbush? What's the one thing? You do so many things, but if you could only pick one thing to be remembered for. Well, this is not me being self-deprecating, but I don't know that a hundred years from now anyone will remember that name. Um, That would put us in uh, 2119. I I can scarcely imagine. Um, that 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 is such a that's like a porcupine of a question. I don't know how to grab it without getting stuck. Um, I I think of myself as a storyteller first and foremost, and then everything else kind of comes out of that. Whether it's you know what I'm doing in the ring or what I make at Chikara or the books I've written or the podcasts I make, I think of myself as a storyteller first and foremost. But if if I wanted to try to imagine it from a macro view without sounding enormously presumptuous, I hope that I was one of the people that ushered in an era of change in an art form that I love very much. I think that's the perfect answer to a very difficult and out there question, but I just had to ask, because you do so many things. I was just wondering, you know, what's the one thing, if you could pick what someone would remember you for, what would it be? And that's the perfect answer. If I could construct one, it would be that. I'm glad. (laughs) So you've got so many things going on, as I just referenced. Can you plug a little bit of them? Uh, Tell people how to find Chikara, how to find the Wrestle Factory, how to find your YouTube channel, how to get your books, etc. Sure. If you'd like to hop in a wrestling ring with me, we do an open workshop six to eight times a year at the Wrestle Factory. It's free. It's at no risk to you. So if you've ever wondered what that would be like to hit the mat or to hit the ropes or to do a day of training just to see if it was for you, Uh, those workshops come up regularly. The next one is July 19th, I want to say, and you and I could hop in the ring together. They're free to register for. TheWrestleFactory.com has all those training options, including seven-week beginner classes. If you want to stick your toe like in the shallow end of the pool, but you don't know how deep you want to swim just yet, Beginner 101 is probably the class for you. So I would look forward to seeing you in my ring up on Wingate Street in Philadelphia, PA. You can keep up with me online, of course. Uh, My Twitter is where I'm most active, Mike Quackenbush, Uh, although I did recently cave to peer pressure and got an Instagram where I am (laughs) MQ underscore thousand holds, T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D spelled out, thousand holds. Uh, You'll find more of my oblique sense of humor over there. But there is stuff that I am making, and really, in a broad sense, it could apply to you no matter how you perform, like like Kelsey mentioned a moment ago, right? any way in which you perform, these three things may add some value to your work. Number one, the YouTube channel I just launched, Till We Make It. Uh, Number two, my free podcast, of course, meant for pro wrestlers, but obviously with more applications than that. Kayfabe 2.0 is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, blah, 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 all those platforms. Anywhere you could find it, it's probably there. Kayfabe 2.0. And lastly in that chain is the most recent of my books, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer. You can get it uh, printed on demand by the fine folks over at Amazon, or they'll stick it on your Kindle in about 1.5 seconds. Or if you want me to read it to you, all right, I will. It's over on audible.com as an audio (laughs) book as well. Perfect. Well, I want to thank you so much, Mike, for your time. I, I hope people check you out on the many different platforms. You know, you're 
making content on. I hope people check out Chikara as well. How can people watch Chikara if they're interested, if they want to become new fans? Well, the first week of unlimited streaming on our service, Chikaratopia, it's totally free. And you'll notice that we break up our stories by season. So season 20 begins at the top of this year. So if you're looking for, like, what are my entry points, starting at the top of one of the seasons and working your way through, that makes for a great entry point. Or if you just want one slice to see if it might be to your taste, try one of our King of Trios tournaments. It's only the biggest tournament in all of pro wrestling because it has 48 wrestlers in one tournament. There's nothing of that size anywhere else. Go ahead. You can look around. So that might be an interesting entry point for you, especially if all you've ever seen are like one of the slapsticky clips of ours that went viral online. You might want to dive in a little bit deeper and see if it's up your alley. Sounds good. I hope people check it out. And again, thanks so much for your time, Mike. Wishing you all the best and really appreciate everything. Well, thanks for the platform and thanks for having me on and being so welcoming and for not asking a bunch of questions as if they were gleaned 30 seconds prior to recording from my Wikipedia page. I do appreciate that. I try. <laughs> <laughs> I really am a fan, so I'm really excited to be talking to you. Thanks again. Thank you, Kelsey. Well, you said it going into that interview. This is a guy that wears a lot of different hats, promoter, podcaster, wrestler, trainer. Uh, you know, He does it all and uh, fascinating interview with him. Yeah, really, really happy and so appreciative, so appreciative of his time. Like, so much time we took in that interview. Yeah, but it, it, it all uh, tied together perfectly in this show. And uh, now it's time to close out the show and send them home. And we're going to do something a little funny in that last week we put out a tweet, what would be your entrance theme? Right. And we got a lot of great answers, but now it's time to give our answers so, Kelsey, what would be your entrance music? So, if I was a wrestler, my entrance music, it would be similar to Sami Zayn because I love ska music. So, it would come out skank into the ring to one of my favorite ska songs. It's called Nerd Alert, and it's by the band The Aquabats, which we're going to see very soon. So, ner there's a great, like, line in the song where it's like, We're fat, young, and hungry, but we don't care. We got big old brains. Like Mexican candy, we got some complex flavor running up in here. Like, that's the part I would come out to. <laughs> so, there you go. I got a big old brain. Although, not, not really that big, because sometimes I can't even talk right. Well, we're going to see the Aquabats. Uh... And Real Big Fish. Yeah, July 9th, which... Interesting that you say the real big fish, because as I was thinking what my entrance theme would be, uh, I think you could go with real big fishes drinking. Oh, beer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I was thinking you could do Weird Al Yankovic's fat. Shut up. <laughs> God, you're so dumb. But when it all comes down to it, honestly, I... I would choose Triple H's music. I think it is the... You repeat someone else's music? Yep, I don't care. I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll fight Triple H for it. Okay. I think it is the ultimate best entrance music, <laughs> and it's not even close. You're just going to steal someone else's music. Yeah. I wasn't expecting yeah, that answer. Well, you know, I, I got to throw you a curveball once in a while. That was a good one. Yeah, no. That's a good answer. No, just steal somebody's music. I'll fight, I'll fight the game for it. You know, he's busy with NXT. He won't even notice that I took it. He'll be like, ah, ha, ha. I don't need it anymore. I'm I, I don't know if song. I could do the spit thing as well as him, but no, it's just no, the ultimate can't. entrance music, I think. Remember that time you were like, oh, I could do it, and it was bad. <laughs> I don't remember that. You don't remember? You no. like showed me the water bottle outside or something. It was terrible. <laughs> 
I'll take your word for it. I think it could have happened. I don't remember when, but it definitely did. Okay. But anyway, also kind of uh, July-themed, I do want to put out there that on social media, I'll be asking people which wrestler they think would eat, would win a July 4th hot dog eating contest. It's kind of like a funny question that my friend Trace came up with, and I just think it's perfect for July 4th. So if you guys have an answer to which wrestler you think would win a wrestler hot dog eating contest, I uh, I would love to hear from you. Tweet me at superkickingit or email us twofacedpod at gmail.com. It's T-W-O-F-A-C-E-D-P-O-D at gmail.com. Please send me your answers. I want to read them next week. Yep, it's a 4th of July tradition out on Coney Island, the uh, Nathan's hot dog eating contest. So what wrestling stars would excel at that? And it is all part of uh, uh, what we're going to do. Kind of an interesting show next week in that... Uh, we're going to talk about Best in the World. We are going to talk about Fighter Fest, but we're going to actually be in Milwaukee for Summerfest. As you, if you're watching on YouTube, I'm wearing one of my Summerfest shirts. You can barely see the logo, but yes. <laughs> uh, we'll be in Milwaukee for that for three three nights. And, guess who we get to see? And we're going to see some wrestling. So we're hoping to uh, maybe catch up with uh, Beer City Bruiser yeah. uh, because it's Brew City Wrestling. Yep. So. We're going to check that out on July 3rd, and we'll have some sort of content from there, and uh, our podcast will emanate from the Beer City, so we will definitely have beers on the set when, yes. we, when we do the show. That's like my fake beer. If you're watching <laughs> it on YouTube, I held up my hand, nothing in it. It's like, beer will be there next week. And again, don't forget, after Best in the World, Friday night, uh, as soon as the show is over, join us on Wrestling Inc. for a live recap podcast on that ROH event. Yep, but that's all we have for today. Thank you guys for your time. We appreciate it. We know it's valuable, and it means so much to us that you're spending it with us every week. It's such an honor. But until next time, that's it for us. That's the finish. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.